Oh. I thought you guys wanted me to read Reader's Digest or something up here. Tell you some sweet syrupy story that would make you cry. We want to preach the Word is what we want to do here. And so if you want to open your Bibles today, we're going to start in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and then we're going to move to the New Testament in a little while. Uh, just a, a few things uh, Just uh, I want to mention. First of all, we've been in a time of 40 days of prayer for revival, and this has been Christians all over our village and our county who've been praying for revival. And today is the 40th day. And uh, that doesn't mean that you have to stop praying for revival. This is a great prayer to pray 365, 24-7, right? To pray and ask God to wake up the parts inside of us that it might have got sleepy or lazy. To, uh, to awaken spiritually dead people that God would give them the gift of eternal life. He would draw their hearts to them. This is a great prayer for us to pray all the time. But we've had a special concentration of that. And I know a lot of you have participated, maybe all of you have. And tonight we're going to celebrate that out at Wingfield Park. Anyone who would like to come, we would love for you to be out there. It's going to be people from all different congregations who will be there at 5 o'clock. And uh, James Parker from First Baptist is going to lead us in two or three songs. One of the best worship leaders in our village. And uh, by the way... Thank you to our worship leaders today. Great job. Thank you all. Yeah, we're grateful for our worship leaders. So uh, that'll be tonight. Also, uh, another thing is, you know, we have, we have so much. God has gifted people in our congregation to lead worship and do lots of other things. All of you. He's gifted every single believer with a gift from the Holy Spirit. And some of those people are very good uh, teachers or preachers, and we don't want to let their gifts sit dormant for too long. And so a uh, couple of things about that. Today, Connor, in fact, this summer, for the rest of the summer, Connor's going to be helping me as we unfold God's word to you. This is a young man who God has gifted him to uh, teach and study the Bible and then share. And so we don't want that gift to sit dormant. But also, we have another young man, and his name is Dennis Moore. And uh, he's, he, as you could tell today, is is full of God's word and God's wisdom and it's bursting out of him and Dennis thank you that was a really encouraging time this morning next Sunday morning if you would like to come at 9 30 uh, there will be a adult class we are not starting I want to be crystal clear we're not starting kids classes we're still trying to figure all of that out okay so we're not starting kids classes or teen classes at this at this point on Sunday mornings but next week, we're going to have an adult class. We're going to try that for several weeks and see how you respond. If you want to be here at 930 to hear Dennis teach, it's going to be right in the fellowship room. You can just walk around through the kitchen to the fellowship room or enter on the east side of the building. And Dennis was concerned that some of you might not be able to make it back there, that you might just stop in right in here where he usually teaches. And I told him, I said, Dennis, on family day, they are easily find their way back there. And so you guys go back there for some spiritual food next, uh, next Sunday morning at 9.30. We are actually finishing this series that we've been in all summer. We're finishing it today, Your Word in My Heart. We want God's Word in our heart. And these are some of the favorite verses that people shared with me actually last fall. They gave me these verses and said, this is one of my favorites right here. It means so much to me. It's hidden away in my heart. And so today we have two of those from one of them from Clark Taylor and one of them from Frank O'Dell. And one is in the Old Testament, one is in the New Testament. I'm excited for this uh, final sermon in this series today. We don't have anything for kids to go to. They're going to stay right here with us. But we do have a video for the kids. We're thankful to Callista for her working on this, and we're grateful for our kids. And so uh, this is kids, sit up and watch close. Listen close to what Miss Callista and these kiddos share with you. We got some sound, Jay. We ready? Good morning, everybody. We are at the peak of the week campfire tonight, and I just thought it would be the perfect opportunity to get most of our kiddos in a video. And so I'm going to have Kerner read the scripture for us, and then we're going to talk about it. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Thank you, Carner. That is John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. And so I have a question for y'all. What is one way that you can think of that you can love one another? What is one way that you can show love to your brothers and sisters in real life, in your family, and in Christ? Yes, Carter? Be nice to each other. Be nice to each other. That's an awesome one. Yeah. Andrew? Help each other know God better. Oh, that's a wonderful one. Thank you, Andrew. Kaisa? Be kind to each other. Be kind to each other. Yes. Jude? Love everyone. Love everyone. I love that. Help. Help? Help your brothers and sisters? Yeah. Nathan? Share the love of Christ. Share the love of Christ. Yes. Yeah. You can help them in difficult times. That's so true. What about you, Max? What do you think? How can you love people around you? To help trees grow. To help what? Trees grow. To help trees grow? That's an awesome one, yeah. That helps us create. That helps God create oxygen, right? Yeah, that's so awesome, guys. Thank y'all for sharing that. I appreciate each and every one of your thoughts. All right, y'all want to say bye to everybody. Bye. bye. All right, that was a good save there, Callista. Nice job on that one. All right, we're going to get to John in the New Testament. We're going to start in Ecclesiastes. And as a way of introduction, I just might ask this question about beauty. What is beautiful? It's, it's not a, I mean, it's a question for you to think about. Let me, well, let me show you something and let's see if you think it's beautiful. Is that beautiful? Or is this beautiful? Ah, there we go. Kind of think of those as opposites, cats and dogs. Some people think cats are beautiful. Some people think dogs are beautiful. Some of you are a little strange and you think both are beautiful. I I think you should choose a side. But anyways, uh, yeah, they're kind of opposites. But yeah, it kind of depends on the person. Beauty is in the eyes of? You know that. You know that one. So it could depend on the person what's beautiful. But it also might depend on the context. How about this? Is this beautiful? This gigantic storm coming over this either city or little small town. And this photographer captures it. The power, the majesty of this storm. Is this a beautiful thing? Well, uh, the photographer thinks so. A lot of people see weather and they go, that's beautiful. But if your house was in the storm, and this is what happened, maybe that storm wasn't so beautiful. So beauty depends on the eye of the beholder. Beauty depends on the context. And that all makes total sense to us. But the Bible tells us that something else determines what is beautiful. And so we're going to pray, then we're going to go to God's Word, and we're going to see what is beautiful beautiful. Let's pray, and uh, then we'll read from Ecclesiastes 3. God, thank you for this day. I'm grateful for our church family. I thank you for those that are here with us on Facebook Live. I pray your blessings in each of their lives. Pray that they would know that they're loved and missed, that they're a part of us. I uh, just pray, God, that, uh, you would, that, you, that, that you would help our hearts during this very strange time, not to grow weary not to grow discouraged, not to grow depressed. Help us, God. We need you desperately. Lord, every week we want to pray for a different congregation of believers. Today we pray for the J. Bar J. Country Church, and we ask, God, that you would bless their uh, efforts that are toward the kingdom of God. I thank you for their uh, pastor that's been there just a few months, Steve Griffith, and I pray, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would help him today to clearly present the gospel, that people would hear that though we are sinful, without hope, lost, because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we have hope. Pray that they might hear about the death, burial, and resurrection, and that you would draw people's hearts to you. Lord, every week we want to pray for a different group of people 
We often pray for missionaries, and today I just want to pray for all of the pastors in our village that I know anyways. I ask God that you would be with Justin and Danielle out in Capitan, with Jared and Shelby in Capitan. God, be with Gary and Robin at the, at the, uh, the Church of Christ that's there on top of the hill. I pray also that you would uh, be with Bobby and Teresa and that you'd be with Todd and Nicole. We'd be with Dustin and Ashley. Uh, be with Rick and Sue, with Alan and Gina. Be with Randy Widener and his wife. Be with Tanya, be with Judy. With all of these, God, none of us are perfect. All of us are uh, human beings. And every single one of us that stands in a pulpit, God, we, we don't know every single right answer. We have some things wrong, so we pray for your help, God. Pray that you would lead every one of these ministers to uh, all of us to more fully understand what your truth is, God. We thank you for the work that's going on uh, in this village in the name of Jesus. God, we do pray again today as we have been for revival. We ask you to wake us up. You've given us lots of wake-up calls. We ask that you would set our hearts aflame anew, that you would fill us with your Spirit again as you uh, told us that you would do over and over and over. We pray, God, that you would draw hearts to you that don't know you, who have no hope for eternal life, but that can have that when you draw people to you and save them. We love you, Lord. We pray now that your Holy Spirit would teach us that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart might be acceptable in your sight. We pray it in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. The Bible says this, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. All of you who are older than me or my age and older than me remember that uh, famous rock group put that to lyrics in in the 60s. Do you guys remember that song? Let's listen to it. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to listen to it. Okay. <laughs> 28 things. 28 things listed to explain the seasons of our lives. There's a time for everything. Now, that word everything is not literal. The Bible does not say there's a time to deposit your money in a bank and there's a time to rob a bank. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible doesn't say there's a time for morality and a time for immorality. The Bible doesn't say that. There's a time to be righteous and there's a time to be wicked. No. This is not literally everything, but instead it's a general list of the common things that all humans experience during a lifetime. And we see 14 opposites. Opposite things. Life is not only or always planting and building and collecting. Life is also uprooting and tearing down and throwing away. And down in verse 11, we find out something that's so interesting. I didn't read this, but you can look in your own Bible. We find out that all of these seasons are beautiful. God has made everything beautiful in its time. One activity is beautiful at a, the appropriate moment, and the exact opposite activity is beautiful at another moment. 
And that seems really counterintuitive to us. We would think if something is beautiful, then it's always beautiful, and the opposite could never be true. But that's not what the Bible says. So, we're going to unpack a few of these. I'm not going to go through all 28 of them. You're like, oh, thank the Lord, the roast would burn. So, not going to go through all 28, but I'm going to choose a few that are, that are maybe a little bit more difficult for us to get our brains around and get our hearts around. So, let's look at a few of these. The first one we see is this. There's a time to be born and a time to die. Birth is beautiful. <laughs> Easy for a guy to say. <laughs> Although it's messy and painful, a baby almost always brings joy. We get that one. Yeah, there's a time for everything. There's a time to be born, and God has made that beautiful. But how can death be beautiful? Maybe age could have some bearing on that. There's the difference in a person who dies at the age of 99 and a person who dies at the age of 9. So maybe that's what it is. But the Bible doesn't say that about age, that that's what makes death beautiful. But we find something in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, chapter 14. This is what the Bible says. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. In the Lord. Geneva just came in my office this morning. And many of you, there's a lot of you who don't know, but many of you know Lewis and Jane Duncan. Lewis had a huge impact on my life. Jane tried and tried and tried to teach me to play the piano. She failed. Oh, wait, no, I failed, I think, is how that goes. I love these two Christians, a brother and a sister. And Geneva came to tell me that she heard that last night Jane passed away. And it makes me sad for Lewis. makes me sad that Jane has left this earth. But Geneva said, praise the Lord. Because it's beautiful. Because Jane is in the Lord. As a little side note about death. A few weeks ago on a Wednesday night, I said something about this, and I think I concerned some people. I've had a, more, more people than normally talk to me about things I say. Come and talk to me like they're worried about me. Are you sick? Are you, do you have a disease? Are you, is something wrong? Or, because what I said was, I've been thinking about death a lot. I've been thinking about death a lot lately. Maybe it has to do with the pandemic. Could have to do with my age. That might have something to do with it. And I've been thinking about heaven a lot. And I was sharing that one Wednesday night. I think this is a good thing for us to do. I don't think we should try to push death away and push it underneath the carpet and, and cover it over with all of our busyness and activities, we should think about death and heaven. I don't have a terminal disease, by the way, as far as I know, except for the fact that I'm a human and I'm getting older every day. So I actually do have a terminal disease. Last fall I was studying in Psalm 139. And it's a very famous scripture that says, that God knit us together in our mother's womb. That He knew us before we were born. And I knew that scripture pretty well and I was studying it, but right at the end of that, at verse 16, there's a part there that I just had never paid attention to where the Bible says, You, God, ordained all the days of my life before one of them ever came to be. This is my belief about that scripture. There are different opinions my belief is God is sovereign over my life. God has appointed a day for me to die. 
And if it's by the coronavirus or if it's by pulling out in front of a Texan, I mean, it could be somebody from another state. I don't know why I thought of that. Sorry, and I apologize to any Texan who got their feelings hurt. You guys are awesome. We love you. We're glad you're here. I'm not trying to make fun of you. Please don't send me a letter about that. <laughs> if I get a disease, whatever happens, if my time is up in 2020, no worries. Bless are those who die in the Lord from now on. I don't have a death wish, folks. But I have a death date. And so do you. This is so important for us to think about. For every single person who has received the gift of eternal life, who's been given the right to become children of God, that death date is not the end. The gift of eternal life means life goes on for eternity. So during this pandemic, am I careful? Yes. I'm not stupid. I'm not going around licking doorknobs. All right. But am I panicked? No, I'm not. Not panicked. There's a time to be born and a time to die. And God has made them beautiful. The second one is this. There's a time to heal and a time to kill. Now we love healing, right? We pray for it. We pay for it. We hope for it. We long for it. I was recently talking to an older person, and he said something that I thought was funny. You may or may not. But he's exp- this, this, was not, this is not something that was belittling death because this person has experienced great loss in his life from other family members. But he said to me, he said, if God answered every single prayer that we pray for healing, he said this world would be full of a bunch of frail, old people. That's what he said. And I thought it was kind of funny a little bit. I imagined, you know, 200-year-old people, you know, waddling around. He was saying, doesn't always happen. We still pray for it, and we know it's beautiful when it happens. I was just filled with joy yesterday. I was mowing my yard, and I got a text from Chad Smith and his cousin is, that we've been praying for, who has COVID-19 in Florida, been on a ventilator for over two weeks. He's off the ventilator, breathing on his own, seems to be getting better. He's in ICU. We're going to keep praying for him. It's beautiful when healing comes. We're praying for Greg Parham. We're praying that's Pat's son, and he's had two surgeries, and they've both been very successful. It's beautiful when healing seems to be happening, or it does happen. Praying for Ruthie Ewan. Praying that God will be with her in this cancer that she has. We prayed for Darlene recently, who had COVID-19, and she's recovered, and she's better. And there's many more. I'm, I'm not listing every person, but we're praying for people. We're praying and asking for healing, and it's beautiful when it happens but then the bible says there's a time to kill and verse 11 says that god has made all things beautiful in their time when can it be beautiful to kill well here's an easy way i'm gonna i'm gonna take the easy chicken way out okay here's an easy way to look at this verse suppose you're hiking along with your children and you suddenly hear this sound what is it it's a rattlesnake now, if you're hiking with Kim Chesser, he runs ahead of the kids, he pulls the rope off that's on his side belt, and he runs toward that snake, and he whips it with a rope, knocks it silly, and then he cuts the snake's head off. Beautiful! <laughs> yes! And that's not a made-up story. I've seen that happen. He really did, he really did that when I was on his, out on his place one time. That's the easy chicken way. There are more difficult ways to apply this verse, but I'm going to move on so I don't say anything stupid today. <laughs> you guys can make the applications that you might want to. There's a time to kill. God has made them both beautiful in their time. Then he says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. Now, while you're thinking about embracing and refraining, I'm going to go give this back to Jerry Sparks 
because a bunch of kids are going to come ask me for this after church, and I don't want to answer them. A wife embraces her husband very romantically. Beautiful in God's time. A child embraces his grandma's neck enthusiastically after a long separation. Beautiful in God's time. A man embraces his brother in Christ when that man tells him he's decided to be baptized into Jesus. Beautiful in its time. The embrace of those two men. But the exact opposite is also beautiful. A Christian man refrains from embracing a beautiful woman who he's attracted to because they're both married, not to one another, but to their respective spouses. Beautiful in God's time. There's a time to embrace, and there's a time to refrain from embracing. And one more. Love and peace, hate and war. Everybody loves love and wants peace, right? Those are easy. Those are beautiful. We see all those as beautiful. Love and peace, those are beautiful. We love it. That's awesome. But God says the opposite can be beautiful. A woman hates the temptations she struggles with to gossip. She hates it. A man hates the injustice he sees right across the street when his neighbor is treated poorly because of his race. A family hates the sin of drunkenness because it's destroying the peaceful home that they once lived in. That hate is beautiful. It's beautiful in God's time. There's a time to hate. And even war. I know that some people won't agree with no matter what I said. It wouldn't matter what I said right now. But there will be people who won't agree with this particular interpretation and might have really good arguments for why they would disagree. But a war that fights against Nazis who are practicing genocide is beautiful in God's time. And a war that fights against terrorists who blow up innocent people is beautiful in God's time. That's not a political statement. That's just a true statement, in my opinion. Opposites. Love. And war. Peace. And hate. I might not have got those lined up right. But opposites. Opposites can both be beautiful in God's time. When I asked Clark Taylor, what is it, what is it about this this verse that makes it one of your favorites, this is what Clark Taylor said. This is one of my favorites because it teaches me that a time has been set for everything that occurs under heaven. I accept this teaching and believe it to be true. That is so important that Clark said that. I accept this. He's not just saying, I like it or I want He's saying, I accept this and I believe it. Clark goes on to say, you hear the question, why, why, why so often? But it, the statement, it's time, is easier to accept. Clark finishes by saying, I feel that my challenge is to do the right thing at the right time and be content with whatever happens. And he finished this with something I didn't ask him to explain, but he finished by saying, just like my mama said. That does sound like Clark Taylor, but I'm thankful to Clark. Clark, if you're watching online, Clark and Janet, thankful to you for bringing this scripture to us. I appreciate your, your thoughts and your words, and I'm thankful for your mama. Whatever she taught you, she did a good job. Clark's right. We don't always know the right timing, do we? And sometimes, quite honestly, we rebel against the right timing. And it's not so beautiful when we do that. But there was one, there was one who lived his entire life 
in beauty. There was one who lived his entire life with perfect timing. You guys know who that is. I'm going to invite Connor Mills to come and finish us up today as we look at the New Testament and we look at that one. Would you guys give Connor a big gateway welcome? Before we get to talking about the one that John introduced, I wanted to say that uh, man, the Cody, Charlie, and Ella are back in town. I'm pumped about that, and I wanted to mention that. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> wanted to mention that if you noticed when Wyatt invited all the all the kids up on stage, a huff didn't join them because they're all in the youth group. Yes, it's great. Yeah, we're excited. Ella, Ella, sad that you missed uh, Level Up Sunday, but. I um, just wanted to honor you in that way. Welcome to the youth group. We're excited to have you and, and Joseph and Carner, um, <clears throat> part of the youth group. Looking forward to it. So yes, there's one who, who uh, um, <clears throat> was beautiful, lived a beautiful life all the time in every season. Um, <clears throat> and his name is Steve Prefontaine. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but Steve Prefontaine did, did say this, and, and this quote's going to intro more. To, to who John was introing. Steve Prefontaine, if you don't know, is uh, USA's uh, greatest distance runner that's ever lived. Uh, he had an American record in everything from the 2,000 meters to the 10,000 meters at one point in his career. Um, ran in, a, in an Olympics in 1972. But he said this, Some people create with words or with music or with a brush and paints. I like to make something beautiful when I run. I like to make people stop and say, I've never seen anyone run like that before. It's more than just a race. It's a style. It's doing something better than anyone else. It's being creative. What did Jesus do better than anyone else? Pro probably a few things, right? <laughs> um, uh, but what did Jesus do that made people stop and say, I've never seen anyone live like that before? He loved, right? He loved in every season, loved better than anyone else, loved in a way that made people stop and say, I've never seen anybody live like that before. He loved things that seemed like opposites. He loved the marginalized, the outcasts, by healing the sick, curing the lame, and casting out demons. He loved the little children when, when people said, oh, don't, don't waste your time. He said, no, let the little children come to me. He loved women by having Mary and Martha and other women as his close disciples in his ministry. He loved the woman caught in adultery, right? He even loved his enemies when he washed Judas's feet in John chapter 13. There's a story in Luke 7 that shows Jesus loving these two seemingly opposite people. In, in, in their culture, in our culture, they, they seem like opposites. And Jesus loves these two beautiful people in a beautiful way. So we're going to read that, Luke 7, 36 through 40, if you want to follow along. It says this, starting in uh, verse 36 of Luke chapter 7. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Standing behind him, at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. And then Jesus gets into a, a parable that he shares with Simon. I'm going to kind of paraphrase that parable for us, kind of modernize it so we might grasp it maybe a little bit better. <clears throat> and, and Jesus tells him a parable that, that goes something sort of like this, and, and also maybe probably not at all like this, but you'll see. So uh, I had a friend in college uh, that, that when I was a senior, I didn't have a meal plan. I wasn't able to eat in the cafeteria at ACU. And I had a friend who did, and he swiped me into the bean. And, and man, that's a beautiful act of love. And for those of you who are like, what's a bean? Who's, who's swiping who? Um, let me explain why that's such a beautiful act of love. Um, so 
like I said, I, I wasn't, didn't have a meal plan, wasn't able to eat in the cafeteria, and my friend used one of his guest passes for me. You get four a semester, and he used one on me. Um, <clears throat> and so I was able to eat in the ACU's cafeteria buffet that they value at $9.50 at the time. Whether that's overpriced or underpriced is, is a different discussion. ACU's proud of their being. <laughs> but he gave me this free, free buffet valued at that time at $9.50. Um, that same friend, <clears throat> he uh, was, allowed this guy who was in a really rough place to stay at his house for an entire semester free of rent. Um, <clears throat> and both me and the guy that was crashing on this guy's couch wanted to pay this friend back. We wanted to, I wanted to take him out to eat somewhere. And the, and the friend who crashed at his house wanted to, when he was in a better place financially, be able to pay this friend back. But our friend was adamant that it's not necessary, not needed, um, considered a gift. He canceled our debts, right? Very similar parable to what Jesus tells here to Simon the Pharisee. And Jesus asked the same question that I'm going to ask you. Between me, who was given a free meal, and this other guy, who was given free rent for an entire semester, who loved the friend more? You can answer. The couch crasher, right? The one who had the larger debt canceled, right? You guys are awesome. Way to go. You answered the same way as this really smart Pharisee. You guys are awesome. Um, <clears throat> right? And so that's a very similar interaction that Jesus and Simon the Pharisee had. The one who had the larger debt canceled is going to love more, right? Let's pick back up in Luke 7, starting in verse 44. Then... Turning toward the woman, he said, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she has loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. <clears throat> so Jesus, he's at this table with Simon the Pharisee in front of him. Um, the dinner in front of them. And where's the woman? He's behind Jesus, right? And I, oftentimes when I read this story, and I think when most of us read the story, we think of, of sitting at a dinner table like we sit in a chair and so this woman is kind of underneath Jesus, washing his feet, right? But it looked a little bit more like this. For those of you who didn't know, when they say recline at table, this is, this is what it looked like for them to recline at table and eat dinner, supper, whatever you call it. And so she's behind Jesus at his feet. Simon in front of him, meal in front of him. And she's, she's washing his feet, which is typically something done when you like come into a house, they approach from in front of you and, and wash your feet or provide you the materials to wash your feet. But this woman, they, they don't sneak up behind you to wash your feet, right? And, and she's not doing that either. But she's behind him and she's weeping. And, and I don't want to infer or assume anything about this woman that's not said in the text. I think some people have preached this this way and I don't know that that's um, the correct reading of this text. I just don't want to assume anything about this woman. But she's behind him. She's weeping. And she's also made her way into the Pharisee's house where she hears comments like, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he wouldn't let her touch him. She's untouchable. She's full of shame, right? She's, she's sinned, um, whatever that looked like, and she's ashamed. She's untouchable. Have you been there? Untouchable. Ashamed of your sin. Felt like you can't come to Jesus, but you have to hide behind him. You, you, you've messed up, whatever, whatever that mess up looks like. Maybe it's something that, that you've been struggling with for a significant part of your life, and you, you do it again. You mess up the same way you did last week or yesterday or an hour ago that you said you would never do again. You're full of shame. Maybe it's pride, lust, addiction, gossip, lying, cheating, not trusting in Jesus and who he says he is, gluttony, complaining, arguing, the list goes on. Whatever it is that has caused you to feel shame, that has caused you to feel like you can't go to Jesus, but you have to hide. 
or maybe <clears throat> it looks, maybe you've been there before, maybe you're there right now, or maybe today it looks more like I'm at church during a pandemic, look at me, <laughs> or, or I, I'm not going to wear a mask, I, I trust God, faith over fear, right? Or maybe, <clears throat> no, I, I am going to wear a mask because I'm a great Christian, and I, I love all of my brothers and sisters. And I, I say all those things carefully because, as John said, I want to echo, we, we don't, want, don't want you to be divided over mask wearing. I say those things to say, maybe you're the Pharisee today. Maybe you're not untouchable, full of shame. Maybe you're the Pharisee. Have you ever thought someone was untouchable? And you say, no, not me. I'd never think that. It's a pretty good answer for a Pharisee. <laughs> um, and maybe if you're, you're not convinced, like, oh, I could never be the Pharisee. I could never say somebody's untouchable. Let me share a quick story with you, if you don't mind. Uh, when, when I was just a young youth minister, uh, not as wise and, and the man youth minister you have before you, uh, no, one of, but one of the first trips I took with Gateway after, after starting here, we went to Albuquerque, took the youth, ministry, youth group to Albuquerque for a retreat there with a bunch of other youth groups. You guys remember when we could take big groups to, to other places in New Mexico? That was fun. Um, no, but we're in, we're in Albuquerque at a youth retreat, and, and me and a group of students are going th on a prayer walk through one of the nearby neighborhoods. And so what that looks like is... Every, we walk up and down the streets of this neighborhood, and every half a block or so, we would stop and pray for the families represented by the houses we're in front of. And we were instructed, like, if you feel comfortable and if it's safe, you, and somebody's outside in their yard, you can stop and ask if, if they want to pray with you or how you can pray for them. And so I'm talking with the students as we're just beginning this prayer walk, and I ask if anybody wants to wants to ask the first person we see to, to pray with us. And they say, no, no, Connor, you, you do the first one, and then, then we'll see how it's done, and, and we'll do the next ones. I'm like, okay, that's fair enough. Makes sense. First, first person we see outside, it's a middle-aged man in a suit, well-dressed, business, business attire. He's getting something out of his car, and, and it's the, the nicest, biggest house in the neighborhood. And we walk on by. I didn't, I didn't ask if, if that guy needed prayer or if he'd join us to pray. And you say, oh, that's, that's not so bad. Like, you're, you're a young guy and, and, and kind of nervous maybe. Like, that's okay. Yeah, but a block or so later, I didn't hesitate to ask the construction workers if they needed prayer, if they'd pray with us. And a little bit later, I didn't, didn't hesitate to ask the, the woman in her pajamas with some unkept hair if she would pray with us. You see, whether it was subconsciously or consciously, I don't remember, I felt lower than the well-dressed big house guy, and I felt above the others. I've been the Pharisee, and I'm willing to bet if you think about it at all, you have been as well. So, back to our story. We've got an untouchable, um, full-of-shame sinner, right? And we've also got a holier-than-thou Pharisee sinner. And they seem opposite. <clears throat> How does Jesus respond to both of them? First, woman's still behind Jesus, and Jesus turns to the woman. He turns to her. He's been, he's been looking at the Pharisee, looking at Simon, but he's been talking about the woman, talking about that parable. He, she's forgiven. He who loves much is forgiven much. But she he turns, he looks face to face with the woman. And while looking at her face to face, looking her in the eyes, he says to Simon, do you see this woman? That's a powerful phrase right there. There's a lot packed in there for both Simon and the woman. And first, since he's talking to Simon, how is that loving to Simon? Because it's a heart question, right? It's like, how could you, you judge this woman? You labeled her. Without knowing her, you just saw her in your house, at my feet, weeping, and you judged her. Do you truly see this woman, he says to Simon. It's a really, really loving question, convicting of sin in this Pharisee's life. And then, he's also speaking to the woman while he's addressing Simon. He's looking at the woman, he says, 
do you see this woman? What, what's he saying to the woman? I see you. Not for your label, not for how you've been judged, but for who you are, which is forgiven. Jesus loves both of these people that seem like opposites, but are both beautiful to God and to Jesus. John 13, 34 and 35 says this. It's been read before this morning. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. It's a beautiful command given from the one who loved beautifully. This is one of the last things Jesus says to his apostles, and so you know he believes it to be one of the utmost important things he's leaving with his apostles. And the person who brought this verse believes the same thing. Frank O'Dell shared this with John as, as his favorite verse. And, and he believes it to be of utmost importance in the life of a Christian. I thank you, Frank, for bringing this. And uh, let's read uh, what, what Frank, or hear what Frank said about it, one of his favorite verses. He says, Jesus' new commandment is for all of us. It is simple and direct, no interpretation, no man-made rules. You must love like Jesus does. Not just those that are in the four walls of your building or the four walls of your denomination. You must love one another. The test is simple. Do you love everyone like Jesus does? Thank you again, Frank, for, for reminding us. Uh, um, I don't think Frank's here. Is Frank here? No? Frank, thank you on Facebook uh, for sharing this verse with us and for reminding us of this, this simple command that Jesus gave, but because it's from Jesus, though it is simple, it's difficult to live up to, right? Love as I have loved. Jesus saying that, who we just read in Luke 7, loved these two people beautifully. It's difficult to live up to, but it's a great, a great test, a simple test, as Frank says. Do you love everyone like Jesus does? I think that rivals what would Jesus do. I don't think it's got the same acronym, WWJD and DYLE. L-J-D. You need to work on the acronym, Frank. But, um, <clears throat> but to, to use that as a test of our lives, do we love everyone like Jesus does, is a good test um, that Frank reminds us of. And there's a lot of people who have used that. I'm going to share one of their stories and then list a few others. But here's a story of someone who uses this test in their lives. Jim Elliott. He, he experienced Jesus' love. That's where it starts, right? It's not just going and loving bigly. It's experiencing Jesus' love first and then going and loving as we have been loved. And that happened for Jim Elliott. And he's going to go share that love to the unreached people in Ecuador. An, an Indian tribe. I, I'm probably going to butcher the pronunciation, but I think it's the Urani Indian tribe in Ecuador. And they're a really, really violent, violent tribe I don't know if you've seen the movie End of the Spear. Um, it's about, about Jim Elliott and this Indian tribe. But they, they kill any outsider. They don't get along well with the surrounding villages. There's constantly tribal warfare. <clears throat> and so Jim Elliott and his four missionary friends, I've got a picture of them, um, <clears throat> come up with a plan that they have a plane and they're going to fly over the village and they're going to drop goods and materials and and, and things, pictures and things to communicate with them. They had a speaker in the plane that they tried communicating with. And they do this day after day after day, week after week. And they finally, I don't remember how exactly, are able to, to get in connection with one of the members of the tribe. And they take him for a plane ride. And it, it goes really well. They're building rapport. They're doing great. It's a long process, but it's, it's going well. And they finally get to the point where they think they've, they've built up enough rapport and, and can land the plane and go and visit this village. <clears throat> and so they do that one day. Land the plane, they all get out, um, all five of them. And because of the love that has compelled them, this new commandment that they're living by, they go and they, they're killed for the sake of the gospel because they love the sun-reached people and they know that the truest act of love is to share Jesus with people. But thankfully, that's not the end of the story, right? 
because you see the love even increases. Their wives and their other family members continued this work that they started, and the Irani Indian tribe was no longer unreached. They've been shared the gospel. They've been loved just as Jesus loved Jim Elliott and his family and his missionary friends. There are many people like Jim Elliott who, as Ecclesiastes 3 put it, they had a time of searching and they found a time to give up searching, to surrender. What do I mean by that? It looks like, well, they, like all of us, at one time didn't know Jesus. And so they're searching for the love of Jesus, right? But when they found it through parents, church, scripture, historians, the spirit, other missionaries, whatever it is, whatever it was, they found the love of Jesus. And that's a beautiful time to give up searching. God has made everything beautiful in its season, whether it's searching or surrendering to the love of Jesus. These people are like Augustine, who has this beautiful story of of searching for truth and and being prayed for by his mom and and finding the love of Jesus and surrendering to it. Or Polycarp, who had had this great story of being martyred, just like Jim Elliott. Or some more modern people that you, that you might have heard of, R.C. Sproul and Ravi Zacharias, both were loved beautifully by Jesus and shared that love with others. Maybe um, to bring it a little bit closer to home, some people that have been loved by Jesus and love well, um, that I've, Kristen and I have experienced anyway, Nell Hartgraves and Rex, Nell and Rex, found the love of Jesus and loved beautifully from it. Or Anson and Susan Witten, Deborah and Brian Bovary, Paul and Twyla Wetzel have all experienced the beautiful love of Jesus and have loved beautifully from it. And I could go on and list many, many of you. You all love well, but those are people that I, Kristen and I have experienced personally in several situations. <clears throat> so, whether you are a Pharisee, full of shame and untouchable, or whether you're searching for the love of God or have surrendered to it. Know this, as you go this week, you are beautifully, holy, and perfectly loved by the one who loves perfectly, our Savior, Jesus. And if that isn't enough, and it is, it is enough, but it gets better. From experiencing that love of our perfect Savior, Jesus, we're given a new command to join him in this beautiful story of love. Just as he has loved us, we are to go and love one another, no matter what that one another looks like. So go be loved by our king this week and love one another. We're going to close with the shepherd's prayer, and John told me it was Dennis. So Dennis, will you come lead us in a shepherd's prayer?